Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to, to Our Odd, Odd Pod, Pod Podcast, a, a podcast, podcast dedicated to the odd, the macabre, and everything in between. And everything in between, including taking two weeks off of podcasting. Well, to be fair, we had a good reason. Yes. We had a hurricane, and we had no power for a while. And then the next week... Before... Count them. Four whole days. Four whole days, which is plus, some of you just... Plus, plus an evening. Some of you just got power back. Some people still don't have power. So I guess four days in the long run wasn't that bad, but it definitely fucked up the, the podcast well, you know schedule. What? It felt like forever. So I can't imagine it the people did. who don't have power Honestly, still. it felt like an eternity. And you really don't realize how much you appreciate the air conditioning, especially as a night shifter, to you're trying to sleep in a hot-ass apartment in the middle of the day. When they're like, no power, no problem. We're still going to cut the grass, though. Yeah. <laughs> no power, no problem. But we have all the gas in the world. All the gas in the world. Where'd you get the gas for those lawnmowers? Not to mention the incessant like uh, fire alarm going off in our neighboring apartments. That was weird. And it kept going off like for a while. For four days. Yeah, four whole days. And then the next week, uh, we were still just kind of not feeling it. Recovering, I really. Think- you worked like a whole week straight yeah there was a lot of working going on the joys of being like in emergency services yes not me i work at a grocery store but we ain't have nothing we ain't got nothing there's a bunch of angry people mad because we don't have milk (laughs) everybody pissed off because there's no bread or milk literally if there's one thing i know about weathering a storm it's that you need to get all the bread and milk that you possibly can Bread, milk, and the more water, th- everything but Takis, really. Yeah, what the hell, man? Why you guys hate Takis so much? Nobody wanted the, the flaming butthole. You know what? <laughs> In the middle of that's fair. They're what like feels like literal flames. If we have to shit a lot, we're not. Our toilet paper is not going to last, so we better just avoid the Takis. Yeah. Well, more well, for me, I guess. It's funny though, if you remember. One, I have two things to remind you of. Okay. What this is. Would have been, had we have done an episode a week, would have been our one year anniversary. Oh, really? When yeah. was one year? The week after September 11th. This is the week after September 11th. That's when oh, we started. we missed two. But it's still our one year anniversary. We missed three. But yeah. We missed three episodes? One when our sink fell and flooded our apartment. Oh, I thought you meant just recently. But you know what? I think it still counts. But this would have been our one year. And it still is, technically. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So happy one year of Odd Pod, our Odd Pod podcast. A podcast I've been doing for a year and definitely know the name of. <laughs> Two. Yes. When we first started the podcast, we were always talking about being like narrow, narrowly missed. Narrowly missed what? By a hurricane. Oh, yeah. You're right. This like time? three of them. And then this time we just got like pummeled. Yeah, right. <laughs> it didn't didn't miss us too much. We are lucky. Somehow we our apartment still, we are still very lucky. Somehow our apartment is perfectly situated to just completely block the wind. Yeah, even my hanging plant was still fine. Cars are fine. Plants are fine. I was our watching fine. trees like whip around like some Dr. Seuss bullshit. They literally look like rubber going back and forth. And then right in the foreground, the plants on the patio were like. Just Not, fine. Just unfazed. Yeah, no. So that was cool. It is funny that the one person who did move their car away from trees in our apartment complex, a tree actually landed on it. You know what? <laughs> I think, here's my theory. Do you think they did it on purpose? They did it on purpose. <laughs> They're like, that tree's been looking kind of weak lately. We'll park right here and then maybe I can uh, get the insurance on this car. Yeah. 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 Anyway. I was thinking about that the other day and I was like, huh. We started our podcast with narrow misses from hurricanes, and a year in, we actually got hit by one. So whatever. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure we even said, "Let's give it. We'll give it a year and see what see where we're at." Yeah. And here we are, one year later. Yeah. I wish I would have remembered that that was this episode. I would have prepared something more f- with more fanfare. Yeah, I don't think you can get any more fun fa- like fanfare. You know than what? As this a- topic right now as a treat to everybody who's been listening especially if you've been listening for the whole year we're going to give you this this episode is going to be released 
completely free on Spotify. <laughs> yeah. For your ear holes only. For your ear holes only. And anyone else who happens to type those magic words in the Spotify search, you don't even have to use quotes anymore. Really? Yeah. Look we're, at us. We're kind of big time. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, that's it. That's all we got. Happy one year. Bye. One year of that same joke. Yep. Well, to be fair, I haven't been telling that joke the whole year. <laughs> just it's a recent edition. Just within like the last five episodes or so. Yeah. I think so. Anyway, what you got for me? Jonestown. All right, let's hear it. I'm just kidding. It's my episode. I was trying to pull something out of my bag. Just when you thought I was done with the same jokes over and over again, <laughs> I pulled one out on you. So you're welcome. Happy one year. Happy one year. The sound of, of, of at least 10 people turning off their... Just the sound of everyone groaning at the same joke. Just turning off their radio or whatever it is that you listen, people listen to. Their phone. Pause. Phone. Yeah. Hit the pause button. Whatever. Radio is still a thing. Anyway, I'm very tired. I know. I was up like 30 hours yesterday and the day before, and then I slept for like... Eight minutes. Five hours. And then I got up for a while. And then I slept for like 30 more minutes. Yeah, well, on top of like a hurricane, we've been trying to do some other things. Yeah. And I've been relatively stressful. Yeah. So with six minutes of just mindless chatter in. Seven minutes. Also, can you guys just stop? Stop buying houses, damn it. <laughs> just chill out for a second. Anyway. On with the show. On with the show. So this week, as you said, we're talking about Jonestown. Yes. I'm very excited. Uh, I know a little bit about Jonestown. And some of you are like, what's Jonestown? And if you are asking that question, then you're probably in the wrong place. Or the right place, because I'm going to tell you about it. So Jonestown, that has a date in parentheses for some reason. I don't know. Maybe that's when it was founded. Anyway, we'll, look. we'll get into that. If you haven't heard about Jonestown, take a seat, get some flavor aid, yeah. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So Jonestown was spoilers, the location of a mass murder suicide of members of the California-based People's Temple cult. <laughs> this uh act was committed kind of at the will of their charismatic leader Jim Jones, who Jonestown is named after, okay? And at the time at this time he was also super paranoid. Well, yeah. Um Jonestown was an agricultural commune in Guyana. The death toll exceeded 900, including some 300 who were aged 17 and below. Yeah. Making the incident one of the largest mass deaths in American history. It's real. I mean, like, was it really American history, though? Because this happened in South America. Well, American didn't history. Say American That's history. true. It's the Americas. You're right. Let me just put my nationalism away for a second. Yeah. Pack it up. But who was Jim Jones? Who was Jim Jones? Reverend Jimothy... God, I had a funny-ass name thought up for him. I was going to say, is his name really Jimothy? I had a funny-ass name thought up for him, and I forgot what it was. Anyway, Reverend James Warren Jones, born during the Great Depression in the small Midwestern town of Crete, Indiana. Uh, He grew up in poverty and isolation. Sounds about right so far. Yep, so far so good. His mother, Lynetta Jones, worked odd jobs throughout the area, while his father... James Thurman Jones Thurman. was disabled during World War One and increasingly sunk into alcoholism. That's right, World War One. That's a thing that people forget happened. Do we forget that that happened? I just feel like World War One doesn't really get a lot of uh, play. You know, it's all about World War Two. You know, we got movies about World War Two and games about World War Two. Where's the World War One movies? There's not like a Hitler s character in there. I guess like. Fighting Nazis is just pure entertainment. Maybe World War One wasn't as a. I feel like Nazis are a little exciting. bit easier to sensationalize than. Oh yeah, I mean, like you don't even have to sensationalize, because they were that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they were instead sensationalism of about, incarnate. Instead of talking about Axe power, Axe's powers, and 
like geopolitical landscapes. Yeah, yeah you're right. It was pretty. It's a little more cut and dry in World War Two. I just suppose. A little. Yeah. There's a lot more things happening in World War Two. Pretty sure like the atomic bomb was introduced. I'm fairly certain it lasted longer too. Pearl well, Harbor. you know what? 1917. That's a World War One movie. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I could be wrong. I'm actually probably wrong. Maybe not. I feel like anyway. that might be right, though. It's... Re- it's, uh, it's too early for World War II. That's all I know. Also, it's completely irrelevant. Let's keep going. <laughs> the stories of his early life are now shrouded <clears throat> in the haze of lost and or constructed memories. He's just a myth at this point. Yeah. The a sto- confirmed myth. Yes. What is it? His history is legend. It's all just a simulation anyway, right? The stories that Jones told of his younger days were more morality tales than biographical facts, okay? I'm really just not going to trust anything Jim Jones says. That's probably fair. Several can be collected from interviews, sermons, uh, recollections of his mom, a couple of rambling attempts that Jones made to record his life story on tape. This man had an autobiography. I mean, he does definitely have a... That he recorded himself well, via there, audio tape. They do have recordings of him. There's a recording out there of like him right before they murder everyone. I know that. Um, what a weird. He sounded weird too, man. It's always weird to see him at the end because at some point they're like charismatic and like. I imagine he follows the same kind of like structure as like Charles Manson did. He's very charismatic in the beginning. Hook, line. Well, it's just like they're Sinker. charismatic and like charming, and then they just completely fucking lose their shit. I yeah. guess by then, I think it just gets real crazy. I feel, and Jim all of a Jones, sudden, you have nine hundred people drinking flavor. Right, I would argue that Jim Jones is a lot worse than Charles Manson. I mean, yes, absolutely, but I mean, like Charles Manson in the beginning was super charismatic. Then he started talking about like you know, race wars. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, like you don't recruit or engage people if not being as that char- final form right yeah without being some kind of like charismatic in the beginning and just wait jim jones is some next level shit yeah i know um the stories that he told kind of showed like a love he held for outsiders a connection he had with animals his devotion to communal living which was kind of like a biblical description of how Jesus and his earliest followers lived, right? Um, which okay, that tracks. I can right? see how people would be attracted to that. Well, it's kind of—it's almost like that's sort of what it's meant to be, right? But anyway, as a boy, Jones moved with his mom to the nearby town of Richmond, Indiana. There, he observed racism and isolation caused by poverty in richmond he also encountered pentecostal christianity which i don't know if you've ever been to a pentecostal church before yeah, i don't think so but it's like a very vibrant exciting kind of accepting faith Ooh. And it feels it, like those big churches that i'm scared of big speaking in tongues people shaking and shit oh no i have not been there <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> pentecostal um but it really it drew him in uh, he was like, hell yeah. He was all about the community and the values of that kind of religion from that region. And he would never forget the power of miracles combined with a message of unity and acceptance. Now, these miracles, again, it's like, it's part of like that sort of uh, showmanship, I feel like. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is very showy. Have you ever seen the people like dancing around, yeah. and shaking and shit? That's like the people the that ground? you see like on TV. Like late night church television. Yeah, it's, you know what? I feel like a lot of televangelists do pull inspiration from that denomination because it is very exciting. Yeah. We used to go, when I was a kid, we used to go to a church every Friday that did stuff like that. And really? There would be people like laying on the ground, like screaming and shit. It was nuts. I mean, like. I feel like that would it, scare me as a child. I'm not meaning to be offensive, just like it was a lot. It was wild, you know what I mean? It's a lot to experience as a young child. And it was divisive, too, because we were Southern Baptist, and <laughs> some of the people at the church we actually went to were not about that life that people were experiencing. Like, mm-hmm. They were not about that Friday night life. They were pretty convinced it was like the devil 
or something doing that shit. Anyway, completely pointless. Not really pointless. It's, it's on. It's on topic. Anyway, <laughs> let's keep going. Jones didn't make much of an impact in his high school years. Uh, not really. Not many Neither people. Did I. <laughs> <laughs> same, right? Not many people remembered very much about him. Uh, but while he was in Richmond with his mom, he met and later married his future wife, Marceline Baldwin. In addition to her biological son, to their biological son, Stefan, Jones and his wife, Marceline, adopted children of Korean-American, African-American, and Native American descent. Damn. They called themselves the Rainbow Family because they they wanted both in their church leadership life and in their personal life to show that all people are equal before God. See, right now I'm on board. Right. And that was a quote from Jonestown scholar Mary Maga. Cheers, Mary. Prior to their marriage, Jones spent some time in college at Indiana University in Bloomington before moving with Marceline to Indianapolis where he enrolled at Butler University and began to pursue ministry opportunities. Okay. At his first position in South Indianapolis at SSSSS Church, <laughs> what? Jones grew with his desires to lead an integrated community an integrated community and overcome the overt racism in the Midwestern city. His ministry as an assistant minister at Somerset Southside Methodist Church. I was wondering when you were gonna like elaborate on what S S S S S Still that's only was. that's only four S's, so maybe I'll put one too many S's. Anyway, uh his time as assistant minister there lasted a couple of years. Okay before he insisted on integrated services and was forced to leave the small traditional church. So right now, we are on board with jo- with Jim Jones. Right now, I don't see anything wrong with it. However, so, I know the end result, so I know it's going to get fucked right, up it's somewhere. It's going to get fucky. Just but like, as on. of right now, I can see where people are like drawn right. in. He went, he found a Pentecostal faith. He thought it was exciting. He got. He went to college for ministry. He got his first job as an assistant minister he got fired for wanting uh, every all races to worship together yeah so far so good uh he would never again be in a position where his vision was controlled or you know uh fell under the whim of of like the institutional boundaries of the church and its hierarchy Mm -hmm. okay jones and a few similarly minded followers left to start Community Unity. Community Unity. Which became the Wings of Deliverance Ministry. Uh, they worshipped at a rented church in a racially mixed area in Indianapolis. And this is the forerunner of the People's Temple. Unity Community. Community Unity. Uh, the young congregation grew rather quickly. Jones expected complete devotion to the cause and commitment of time and money from his closest followers. So there we go. We see the first seeds. They've been planted. Yet those who agreed with Jones's message of racial and ec- economic equality thrived during the early years with the ministry. Mm-hmm. During this time, Jim developed a following of loyal parishioners, men and women who would move with him to California and then to Guyana in search of a utopian vision that would never be fully realized. Are we going to find out why they left California? Yes. Okay. Uh, and it's not really super surprising. Uh, while Jim Jones was... Tax bil- evasion. Just uh, kidding. They don't tax churches. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> anyway, while Jim Jones was building his practical ministry on the streets of Indianapolis, his beliefs were under construction as well. He was attracted to the messages of equality coming from a growing ministry in New York and Philadelphia led by someone named Father Divine. Father Divine? Yes. Okay. Spelled like divine, like divinity. No, no, I got it. (laughs) He was so enthralled with Father Divine's success that Jones made several trips to Philadelphia and wrote a short booklet in which he admired the work of the peace mission movement while distancing himself from Father Divine's most controversial Theological innovations, which I realize I did not list, and I wish I would have looked up what those might have been. 
Anyway. Homework for you guys. Look it up. Email me. There will be a test. There will be a test. I hope you're taking notes. Yes, you right there. You're at a traffic light. What are you doing? Take notes. So the sort of breakneck pace of people's temple and its ministries in Indianapolis kind of started to have an effect on Jim Jones. Okay. His new position as the... all that back and forth. Yeah. His new position as the director of the Indianapolis Human Rights Commission and his growing family of adopted children from a variety of ethnic backgrounds made Jones's life a constant flurry of activity. In late 1961, he was hospitalized for a week, and in early 1962, he took a leave of absence and moved his family to Brazil. Just a casual move to Brazil? Just a casual little temporary move to Brazil. Okay, well... This time of Jones's life lacks any substantial documentation. Uh, he there were mentions in some sermons, memories recorded later during FBI interviews with some of his earliest followers, and a few individuals who remembered meeting Jones while in South America. But otherwise, there's not a lot that known about what went down while he was in Brazil with his family. Okay, something happened. Had to, right? It's the water. That's why you're not supposed to drink it. <laughs> It's Mexico. <laughs> I'm sure you're not supposed to drink the water in Brazil either. I don't know. Going to give you a tummy ache. Tum tum. I feel like a pretty good rule of thumb is don't drink the water from anywhere that you're not from. Like if you travel to another country because you're probably not used to something. That whenever I went to Greece in Athens, we were able to drink the water out of the tap. But on the islands, we were told not to. I see in Rome, we could because they have like notoriously clean water and switzerland i could drink water aqueducts you know anyway tap water in switzerland superb tap water in greece not as tap water in switzerland is just voss water oh it's good just a big bottle not that they take it and bottle it and sell it as voss it's just a big bottle of voss that it comes from (laughs) (laughs) i hate you um Upon his return to the People's Temple in Indianapolis in late 1963, Jones, surprise, surprise, immediately began planning for a congregational move to Northern California. I say surprise, surprise, because he came back for a reason, right? He was probably plotting this whole time. Partially to avoid increasing attacks on his more radical notions of racial and economic equality, and partially due to Jones's constant underlying fears of a coming nuclear war. There it is. <laughs> but also, to be fair, during this time, that this, was like we a, were, we were like the Cold War. Cold War. Yeah, it was a real fear. Um, this was rational at the time. During the summer of 1965, Jones moved with his family and about 85 members of the People's Temple the summer of love. to live in the Redwood Valley of Northern California around the small town of Yukia. Yukia? Yugio? Where they played cards with a weird kid with multicolored hair. Yeah. Anyway, I probably said that town wrong. So if you're from California, correct me. The small racially mixed group of Midwesterners made quite a stir in the small, mostly white town that was also the county seat. Oh, it's like Oregon now. Maybe. (laughs) As we mentioned, Jones, who was white, Promoted I think we all knew that. <laughs> promoted social justice, racial and class equality, and desegregation. But still on board. Some of his former followers said he paid lip service to those ideas to lure people in. Off the wagon. This is a quote. He was a predator who had really mastered the art of luring people from every segment of life said former People's Temple member Yolanda Williams. Oh, Yolanda. Over the next few years, People's Temple would purchase homes. They would build a church on the outskirts of the town whose name I mispronounced. (laughs) They would start businesses and become more and more engaged in the local political scene. Yeah. So you love that. Just a bunch of... We love it when church and become one. Right. And like when a whole church just moves into your tiny town and just... Takes over. Basically takes over, yeah. Yeah, we love that. (laughs) But for Jones, who had his ministry coming of age in the urban, political, and racial battles in Indianapolis, 
the short trip to San Francisco was a regular draw of his attention because like obviously the city is where the sort of segregation happen. is where the where the action is you know mm -hmm. like where, where things are still happening right by 1968 jones was taking buses full of members of the people's temple to san francisco to participate in joint worship services uh especially with mostly black congregations um by 1969 people's temple was hold the people's temple was holding services in a school in the impoverished and racially fit racially mixed Fillmore neighborhood okay With so you so far you, i can you kind of see like i don't i i see him. knowing how he ends up and where the story goes you're, you you kind of can see the machinations you I know can, i can kind of feel like he's exploiting areas absolutely he's like hey look at me he's like these people are vulnerable because of like segregation and like low income areas much like still going on today absolutely i feel like preying on people that are first of all ostracized because yeah. this is a time when like jim crow laws were still a thing yeah. and there was still a lot of segregation and arguably more racism than now even well, though yeah. it's still the world is still quite very racist. prevalent today um i feel it's kind of vintage cult leader to Prey on ostracized the the downtrodden kind of like poor people anyway no i feel you uh With you right now but you can kind of see it happening. it's like low income you know hey society has turned against you but i haven't but i accept you right and i'm big in this church come join us which again i can see if why. i had witnessed this at the time i would have been like hey cool yeah what a jim jones what a guy but Man, that guy is going to change things. <laughs> Luckily, we have the uh, the privilege of like not being there. Retrospect, yeah, yeah. Um, we anyway, made it. Jones opened his first church in the mid 1950s in Indianapolis. I'm pretty sure I already said that, but at the time he was not affiliated with any particular denomination and had no theological training. I think like nobody asked yet. They're just like right. Hmm. Okay, seems legit. You want to? He's got a, a tie on. Fuck it. His congregation He's got that nice collar thing. <laughs> the collar thing. His congregation was known for being racially integrated, which was particularly progressive at the time, as we've mentioned. Um, in 1960, Jones congreg congregation, which by then we know they're called the People's Temple, affiliated with the Disciples of Christ, and four years later, Jones was ordained in that church. In the mid-1960s, he and his wife incorporated the People's Temple in California, and again, like we said, to summarize, they settled outside the town of Ukiah with some 100 followers, believing that the move would protect them in the event of a nuclear holocaust. We've said this already. Uh, At the time, just a recap. perfectly reasonable uh, thing to be worried about. In 1970, Jones began holding services in San Francisco, and by 1972, he had opened another temple in Los Angeles. He began to make friends among politicians and the press in California and became a he began to make friends among politicians and the press in California. Ooh, so he was friends with I mean obviously politicians, but he was friends with the press too. Yes. So he can manipulate things that are being put out there. Right. I don't like okay, I'm off the wagon. Fuck this guy. <laughs> and he became a respected churchman. Which apparently is a word. Churchman. Churchman. Thousands of followers, a large percentage of them African American, flocked to him. Central to Jones's appeal were his displays of mind reading and faith healing. And there and we go. And there we go. Many said they were drawn to Jones's inclusive anti-war and anti-capitalist messages. Another attraction, former members said, were showy faith healings in which Jones seemed to miraculously and instantaneously heal sick or injured people. Yeah. Yeah. Quote, I thought he could heal because I saw healings and I thought they were real. Riveting. You thought. <laughs> said former People's Temple member Leslie Wagner Wilson, or maybe Wagner Wilson, I don't know. He was a master of manipulation, but you saw him with his dark hair, the sunglasses, and the way that he spoke. And that collar, he was, the way it wrapped around his neck. He was a great orator 
and it moved you. It inspired you because he was so passionate, and so I was just enthralled. That's the same person speaking. Yeah, oh, I got you. Questions, comments, concerns? Oh, to be enthralled by a man with dark hair and a and sunglasses. sunglasses speaking passionately about I'm pretty sure he was quite things. tall, too, so that probably helped. I don't imagine him being tall. I think he was, though. I imagine him being like five foot seven. Nothing wrong with that, but just... Feeling a little attacked. No. <laughs> just kidding. You're at least five foot eight. <laughs> You're right. Um... While the People's Temple was active in humanitarian causes in its communities, Jones's treatment of his followers was often less than humane. Temple members were regularly humiliated, beaten, and blackmailed. Oof. And many were coerced or brainwashed into signing over their possessions, including their homes, to the church. Mm-hmm. Black members and members of other minority groups were convinced that if they left the People's Temple... They would be rounded up into government-run concentration camps. So he really gave them the the old mind fuck. Ugh. He even quote he even showed us this movie about the Jewish concentration camps called Night and Fog. Williams said, "He said this is what they have planned for people of color. We've got to build our land up over there in Jonestown. We've got to get over there. We've got to move fast. We've got to move swiftly." We've got to pool our resources together. Icky. I mean, he sold us a bill of goods, she added. Icky. Quote, you got to remember, this all started back in the 60s and 70s. Our society was in turmoil. There was constant aggression going on. You had riots going on, said former People's Temple member Thom Bogue. And And then you have Jim Jones saying, do I have a place for you? For, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Then you have Jim Jones saying, do I have a place for you, for us? For us. For the unity community. Um, family members were kept apart and encouraged to inform on one another. Mm. In 1974, Jones leased more than 3,800 acres of isolated land in the jungle from the Guyanese government. He believed that the mostly English-speaking South American country could become a sort of utopia for his California-based congregation. Mm -hmm. In 1977, after members of the press began to ask questions about Jones's operation, he moved with several hundred of his followers to the compound that he had been building in Guyana for some three to four years. And as we know, he called it Jonestown. Jonestown. A cable... From the U.S. Embassy in Guyana to the U.S. Department of State in June 1978 characterized the autonomy that Jones subsequently found in Guyana in this way. Mm-hmm. Quote, During the consular visits, it has been observed that the local Guyanese administration exercises little or no control over the Jonestown community and that the settlement's autonomy seems virtually total. This is due to a variety of reasons, which include the fact that the area in question is remote, and thus the government's rather primitive administrative machinery is already overstrained by its obligations to the Guyanese citizens living in the region, as well as an understandable disinterest on the part of the local officials to bother with an apparently self-sufficient community of non-Guyanese who obviously are not actively seeking any extensive contact with the Guyanese environment in which their settlement is located. What we have, therefore, is a community of American citizens existing as a self-contained and self-governing unit in a foreign land and which, for all intents and purposes, is furnishing to the residents all of the community services such as civil administration, police, and fire protection, education, health care, etc., normally provided by a central government within its territory. Yeah. So I guess he picked a good spot, I guess. I guess so. I'm willing to bet. It's like America's not paying attention to you, moving your shit down to Brazil, and then I'm I'm wondering the people there aren't like really concerned about it either. I'm almost positive that when he was in Brazil with his family, it's probably when he was scoping places. He's probably just like, "Mm -hmm." and probably someone was like, "Hey, you know, over here in Guyana, we got all this land over here. There's not, there's not a whole lot of oversight, you know. Anyway." I don't know how close Brazil and Guyana are, but I don't they're know. at least on the same continent. Maybe Guyana is in Brazil. I don't know. 
I'm 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 pretty sure it's its own country. Oh, okay. It's not in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Guyana is like a um, its own country. Um, at the uh, like north of South America. Okay. Near Trinidad and Tobago. Okay. Not like near, but like next country over. Right. Okay. Is it like coastal? Is it on the coast? It is near the coast. Okay. It's probably a bit further inland than you would consider coastal, but yeah. All right. Nice. So by 1978, nearly 1,000 followers had moved to the Guyana compound. Yeah. Having been forced to give up their passports and money upon arrival, some former members said they were cut off from the outside world. They took, he took his their passports? Ooh. Yeah. Okay, no. I know. Never mind. What? Well, it's like whenever they tried to leave later, but we're not that far ahead yet, so. Nope, you're right. I don't want to say too much. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil we it. We do know what happens already, but everyone was forbidden from reading anything because Jones said they Good were liars. Spanish. Said former member Deborah Layton. He called it fake news. What? Wow, I know. Jones coined real fake news. Real. He called it fake news. Joined, Jones coined fake news. Anything that was written about him, he said was fake. Ooh. It was all to ruin his name and his cause and what he stood for. I don't know. Does that not sound familiar? It sounds a little familiar. Suspicious. As time went on, former members said Jones became more extreme manipulating his congregants with blackmail and administering humiliating beatings to those who displeased him. Former members also said he abused drugs and alcohol. Why does this, not the last part specifically, but like, why does this feel very like um, more recent than... <laughs> who knows? Like, I, I, there's somebody, something there. I just can't quite put my tongue on it, but... Somebody read a biography or something. Huh. Punishment became a normal thing, said Williams, one of the former members who we've quoted earlier in this podcast. His behavior became totally irrational. You began to just go with the flow out of fear, fear of the fact that if you left the church, what you might experience, what danger might be brought to you. He started to alienate you from your families, destroy that family unit, she continued, so that then he could become the predator, but also the one who was the provider of every need that you required in life. Sir. Right. This is just like, if there was a book written about how to Manipulate successfully become a cult leader, it would be just John Jones step-by-step -step process. Yeah. Or not John Jones, Jim, Jim Jones. Jones. Jim Jones. I grew John, up with a kid named John Jones. You're giving John Jones too much credit. <laughs> I don't know who John Jones is. Oh, the you MMA grew? guy. Oh. Right? I don't know. I also grew up with a kid named John Jones. He's not listening. <laughs> um, he doesn't have ears. How did you know? Did you know? <laughs> he lost no, I'm kidding. The, <laughs> he lost them in the war. Yes. Some former members said he would also practice fake suicides in small groups. Quote, dying for the cause was something some former members said Jones brought up regularly. He would like run drills like practice drills right are we there yet we're not there yet i don't know but during this time some defectors spoke to the press about the people's temple and allegations of physical and sexual abuse against jones surfaced layton who made it out of jonestown and back to the united states in may 1978 went to the authorities for help quote i wrote an affidavit begging the United States government to get involved, that 1,000 people were being held against their will in Jonestown, and that Jones was a monster and had lost his mind, she said. Okay. I'm wondering if this is the lady who wrote the book I was reading about John... Oh, God damn it. Jim Jones. Fuck. Jonestown. Not Johnstown. That's a different story. Or yeah, a different, different episode. It's like way less intense. In November 1978, U.S. Congressman Leo Ryan traveled to Guyana to inspect the People's Temple's activities and the Jonestown compound. Mm -hmm. He was investigating rumors that some members of the cult were being held against their will and that some were being subjected to physical and psychological abuse. After traveling to Guyana's capital, Georgetown, 
on November 14th. He arrived at Jonestown. Weird. Okay, weird. On November <laughs> 17th. Who's George? Uh, the oh, Georgetown is... Um, probably named after King George. Well, that, but there is a... In Guyana, there is a Georgetown. Yeah, yeah. That's where they flew into. The yeah. cap, That's the capital of Guyana. It's closer to the coast than... Probably named for King George. Thank you, colonialism. <laughs> um, on November 14th, he arrived at Jonestown. I said that on November 17th. Probably a bit of traveling. Okay. I, I, I really messed that sentence up. Oh, so just to, just to clarify, after traveling to Guyana's capital, Georgetown, on November 14th. He made it to Jonestown. He then arrived in Jonestown on, on November 17th. 17th. Yes. After taking some selfies and stopping to eat at that one place. Eating fresh papaya or whatever the fuck you do in Guyana. Yeah. Um, the following day, when Ryan was set to return home, several temple members who wanted to leave the compound boarded his delegation's truck in order to accompany him back to the United States. Ooh, ooh. So he's taken cult members with him. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they got on the plane and were safe and nothing bad happened. I I'm know that's kidding. wrong. Yeah. Other members attacked Ryan shortly before the vehicle left the compound, but he escaped unhurt, and the truck continued on with Ryan aboard. Temple members then launched an attack at the airstrip from yeah. which Ryan and his company were to depart. Mm -hmm. Five people, including Ryan and three members of the press, Died. were shot and killed, yeah. and 11, under, la, 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 11 others were wounded. So, like, can I like just insert Please. knowledge that I have? Yes. Somebody slipped Ryan a note and was like, we want to leave. They're not letting us leave. So he arranged for them to be able to come back. And then the more like extreme people of Jonestown's attacked them yeah. at the airstrip. Mm -hmm. That sounds right. That's crazy. That's crazy. I think they're like true believers. Oh, yeah. So yeah, like it's like the extremists, you know, like in everything. Yeah. The people that are super on board for like fucking whatever, yeah, like, like whatever, they're dude. they're love Jim Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Not unlike some other people today. Um in the wake of the shooting, Jones released radio orders for temple members outside the compound to commit suicide. So like, I don't know if you're going to touch on it, uh -huh. but Jim Jones used to hold like drills for drinking the kool-aid yeah we touched on it briefly briefly they he would have like fake suicide drills he would do this all the time and in like the middle of the night oh yeah I so did. like you never would know like in that book uh it talked a lot about like the different drills in the middle of the night just like sleep deprivation is another thing that people use to control you you know yeah so like i'm sure <laughs> whenever it names. was <laughs> Felicia. <gasps> Lies. <laughs> Just saying like whenever this time that's about to happen, they were probably like, oh, you know, it's just another drill. They were yeah. so conditioned to just doing whatever. Right. That this time was no different. And that shit's wild. Right. So what you're saying is there's a fair amount of them that probably thought they were just drinking drill Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't know. Or Flavor Aid. Sorry. It was Flavor Aid. In the do, you wake, what, do you know what flavor it was? Uh, I'm fairly certain it was grape. It was grape. Was it? It was grape. That was a guess. How do you like that? In the wake of the shooting, Jones released radio orders for temple members outside the... God damn it, I said that already. I need to sleep. Maybe you should take a nap after this. Shortly thereafter, Jones enacted his revolutionary suicide plan at the compound which members had practiced in the past, mm -hmm. in which a fruit drink was laced with cyanide, tranquilizers, and sedatives. Just a cocktail Just a of death. Cocktail of death. It was first squirted into the mouths of babies and children via syringe, and then imbibed by adult members. The tragedy spawned the phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid, to describe blindly following someone. Yeah. Although that brand of powdered drink wasn't used that day, and some survivors of the massacre dispute the claim that everyone who died at Jonestown willingly followed Jones to their deaths, that is a complete sentence. My enunciation is way off. I just feel like... The tragedy spawned the phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid to describe blindly following someone. 
although that brand of powdered drink wasn't used that day, and some survivors of the massacre dispute the claim that everyone who died at Jonestown willingly followed Jones to their death. I feel like they drank it thinking that it was not the, like it's like it was a drill. Right. So blindly following, maybe. Jones. Did they think it was, they were actually going to die that day? Probably not. Right. Jones himself. Didn't he shoot himself? Died of a gunshot wound. Ooh, look at me knowing things. The reality, quote, this is a quote. <laughs> this is a quote. <laughs> the reality is that it was not some giant let's get together and die for Jim Jones moment, said Tim Carter, a former member of the People's Temple. This part just breaks my heart. Who escaped death that day only because a top aide of Jones sent him away from the compound to go on a last mission for the church. It was exactly the opposite. That was my experience. What happened in Jonestown was murder. Yeah. Fewer than 100 of the temple members in Guyana survived the massacre. Just cowardness. The majority of survivors either had defected that day or were in Georgetown. Officials later discovered a cache of firearms, hundreds of passports stacked together, and $500,000 in U.S. currency. Millions more had reportedly been deposited in bank accounts overseas. The People's Temple effectively disbanded after the incident, obviously, because like most of them are dead, right? Yeah. And declared bankruptcy at the end of 1978. So someone of authority was still around to declare bankruptcy. Only one man, only one man, Temple member Larry Layton, was tried in the United States for his involvement in the November 18 events. He was found guilty of conspiracy and aiding and abetting in the murder of Ryan and the attempted murder of U.S. Embassy official Richard Dwyer. And that's it. And was sentenced to life in prison, though he was released in 2002. Another man. Another man. I'm sorry. I'm just flabbergasted. Another man. I mean, like, he was in prison from the 80s to the 2000s. I give approximately zero shits. That's almost an entire life sentence. Because the life sentence is what? 25 years? Yeah. Something like that. Anyway. He should be there longer. Another man, Charles Bakeman, pleaded guilty to the attempted murder of a young girl and served a five-year prison term in Guyana. Speaking of Charles Bakeman, Beekman, I managed to find an article about his son from WTHR.com. This is a news station out of Indianapolis, and the article is written by Rich Van Wick, the son, Tom Beekman, is also a survivor of Jonestown and speaks briefly about his experience. Okay. I'll be skipping ahead a bit in the article and in, a, in an effort to not repeat information that was all, that has already been covered. I cannot. I know. Yeah, you're tired. Anyway, here we go. Tom Beekman's mother and brother both appeared in televised video from Guyana. Yeah, both of them are dead, Beekman said. Beekman's mother, Becky, and his 11-year-old brother, Ronald, died in a ritual of suicide and murder led by Reverend Jim Jones. By pure luck, Tom survived and for the first time in 30 years is speaking out. He, Jones, took a piece of your life. You never got it back. You never got to redo it, he said, fighting back tears. Beekman grew up in Jim Jones' People's Temple. His family followed the preacher from Indianapolis to California and then the promised utopia of Jonestown, Guyana. It was no heaven on earth. Quite the contrary, he adds. He remembers 18-hour workdays for him, his father Charles, and his mother, a meager near-starvation diet, and thoughts of escaping were dashed by armed guards and a jungle prison. You couldn't get out in the jungle because it was so thick. You got 10 to 12 feet in there. It was like you went from daylight to dark. You would get lost and die in there, he explained. A broken arm saved his life. Tom was away getting medical treatment when People's Temple gunmen killed Congressman Leo Ryan and three others as they tried to leave. It was the beginning of mass suicide and murder carried out by a cyanide-laced grape drink and gunfire. Beekman quietly admitted he knew how it would all end. Yes, I did. Yes, I did, he said. Becky Beekman's body was eventually flown back to Indianapolis. The body of young Ronald was never identified and is buried in a mass grave in California. Mm. Charles survived but was jailed and accused of murder. A skinny 21-year-old Tom Beekman came home confused. For 14 years, life in the People's Temple was all he knew. Relatives were strangers. If it wasn't for all those people, I don't know if I could have went on, he said. 
I don't know if I would have wanted to. I was so messed up. My brain wasn't mine. It really wasn't. I had to relearn how to live and think. And yes, even eat. My uncle took me to an all-you-can-eat pizza store, and after two and a half years of eating rice and flour and water, after a while they asked me to leave. <laughs> he said with a huge laugh. <laughs> after five years in a Guyana prison, Charles Beekman came home too. Tom says his dad enjoyed his grandson, but never recovered, drank heavily, and died seven years ago. Tom married his sweetheart Cheryl, their son Todd, now a formal, former Marine, served in Iraq. They lived modestly. Tom is medically disabled, but to this day struggles to keep memories of Jim Jones from ruining his life. That would be letting him have the final say-so. He wasn't going to control me, even in his death. So, that was the article about this survivor of Jonestown. That was like, then he got to experience pizza for the first time, and I really identify with that. So... In conclusion, in conclusion, I feel in general, but especially in the weird world we've been living in for the past six or so years, yeah, the story of Jonestown should serve as a precautionary tale. Never forget that at the time of his death, Jim Jones held such power over his followers that he was able to direct more than 900 of them to participate in a mass murder-suicide. Oh, yeah. So just Doesn't sound like anything that some extremist would do today. Just let's just keep that in mind as we live our lives, okay? Yes. Yes, please. And that's all I got. Well, that was fabulous. Thank you. I don't think it was, uh, but thank you. I there was a lot of I was struggling to read over here. I don't Jim, know if you know. Jonestown is a huge topic. You could probably spend the next week and a half talking about it. You didn't even touch on the Jonestown choir. What about them? They had a huge choir. They lots and lots of money. Oh, you know what? Also, one of the survivors was his son. Really? He, he survived because they were away playing basketball somewhere. Like their, their school basketball team. It's just fucked up. Had survivors go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, that is, they had like a whole choir. The choir is what made them like a large amount of money, which is probably why they had millions. Yeah. On top of like, you know, siphoning it from all of its members. Like were they just really good or... It was like a huge production. Okay. It's on Spotify. All right. Well. Along with our Odd Pod podcast. Along with what? Our Odd Pod podcast. You sure can find us on Spotify. And guess what? You can also find us at www.ouroddpodpodcast.com. <laughs> I almost said our Odd Pod 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 Pod. It's just like complete brain fart. Um. You can find us at linktr.ee slash OOPP. It's fun to say and fun to click. You it's, click on it, you see all of our links. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to click there. <laughs> Just go there. Just click them. Have fun. Oh, well, we're back. And also, if you like our intro and outro music, which I know you do because it's a bop, uh, you can go to... It's a bop, as the young people say. You can go to darrencurtismusic.com and find your own music or that one but maybe don't use it for your shows because we're using it for ours that would be weird yeah anyway uh unless you have anything else i don't that's all i have so as always we are the boneses and, and we, we are, are out, out.